Bible or your electronic device. Let's make our declaration of faith. Lift it above your head and somebody shout, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I am a believer and not a doubter. A doer and not just a hearer. And my life, come on everybody, and my life, one more time, and my life is the better after hearing, obeying, and applying a word from the Lord. Book of Esther, chapter number three, verses number eight, the Bible declares, then Haman, son of king, said to king, exorcise, there's a certain people dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different from those of all other people, and they do not obey the king's law. It is not the king, in the king's best interest to tolerate them. Now, Haman has this personal issue with the Jews, in particular Mordecai. He just don't like him. So he's petitioning the king to eradicate all the Jews in his kingdom. Nine declares, if it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them, and I will give 10,000 talents of silver to the king's administrators for the royal treasury. 13 declares dispatches were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with orders with order to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and children. Somebody shout, everybody. On a single day, the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. Chapter number 4, verses 1. Bible declares, when Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. For when Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned, summoned Hathak one of the king's eunuchs assigned to attend her and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. Seven declares, Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. Father, now in Jesus' name, I want to thank you for this opportunity. God, for giving me the grace well as the mercy to stand before your people to utter anything God it's a privilege as well as an honor and as we enter into this brand new year 365 days with 52 Sundays that you will allow me to encourage your people I start every service in advance saying thank you because I know within myself Greg I'm not worthy it's only because of the righteousness of your son he that knew no sin became sin I might be made the righteousness of God, and I thank you for the righteousness that hath been bestowed upon me. Help me, even me, to live a life worthy of the calling that's upon my life. So, Father, as I exegete this text, as I feed your people, as I encourage them today and throughout this year, I pray for a special grace. I pray that your hand would rest upon this house like you never have before in the past 14 and a half years we've been here. God, let there be such a tangible feel of your presence, God, that provokes the supernatural, that provokes healing, that provokes deliverance, that, that provokes revelation. Let it rest in this place like never before. And God, I praise you and I thank you in advance for it. And it is in Jesus' mighty name. And if you are in agreement, everybody shout amen. Amen. Before I dive into what it is that I believe that God is saying out of the book of Esther, I want to highlight something that God showed me um, in Genesis 18 that just kind of blew me back when I really thought about it and meditated on it. I want to start in Genesis 18 and 1, where the Bible declares the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance of, to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men. Everybody shout, three men. The Bible declares he looked up and saw three men standing near. When he saw them, he hurried from 
the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. Now understand what we see in Genesis 18, 1 and 2 is what's known as a theophonic manifestation. What is a theophany, Pastor McGee? It's when God, who is spirit, chooses to manifest himself in an earthly or in a physical form. So these three men that we see in Genesis 18, they're not men. It's actually God manifesting himself along with two other angels. Now, God is going to have a conversation with Abraham, and he's going to tell him concerning the promise. He's going to challenge his wife, Sarah, concerning her faith. And he's going to tell them, by this time next year, you're going to be holding the promise that I gave you 24, going on 25 years prior. When we get to verses number 16, God is done giving the instructions to Abraham, and he's getting ready to leave. The two angels have already gone to the city of Sodom and Gomorrah because there's some work that God needs to do there. But God poses an interesting question in verses number 16 and 17. The Bible declares when the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Now, now, if you're taking notes, just jot this question down. And the question is simply this. What are the factors needed to receive revelation from God? Think about that for a second, because how many of you all have been praying and asking God to give you revelation, to give you insight as to what's going on in your life, what's going on in your baby's life, what's going on in your spouse's life? God, what's the next move in my career? What's the next move on my job? In what area is the enemy getting ready to attack me next? I, I, what, what are the factors of revelation? Because if I can figure that out, then I can better posture and position myself so that I can hear more often from God. Somebody shout yes. So there are two factors that I want to highlight that just blew me away. The first factor of revelation that I see in this particular text is simply that God considers the relationship that he has with his servant Abraham. Genesis 18, 19 declares, for I have chosen him. This is God talking to himself. God says, shall I hide this thing? Shall I communicate the revelation that I have in my mind concerning this city? And he says, verse number 19, for I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Now, this is good news because if that's the first factor of revelation, relationship, then we all got that in common. Can somebody say amen to that? The scripture declares in 1 Peter chapter number 2, verses number 9, but you are a chosen people. Everybody shout, I am chosen. So just like God says to Abraham, you are a chosen vessel, he looks at every last one of us and he says, you are, shout it again, I am chosen. First Peter 2 and 9 says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. Acts 2.17 declares, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Do we have any sons and daughters of the Lord in this place? Yeah. The, the Bible declares that the sons and daughters, that they're going to do what, y'all? That they shall prophesy. Young men shall see visions. Old men shall dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Understand that visions and dreams are simply just revelations that God gives in the night or in the day. Prophecies are utterance that one gives based on revelation that God gives to them. We're in a good place, people of God. Because just like God looks at Abraham and says, shall I hide this thing that I'm getting ready? Shall I unveil it to my son? And he considers the, re the relationship, then, then, then that puts us all in the game. Because I am a son of God. We are sons and daughters, children of God. We are open to the revelation of the Lord. Can somebody say amen to that? But there's another factor that I want to highlight that the scripture points to as the second factor of revelation when it comes to God. God speaks to Abraham in verses number 20. Then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great. And their sin so grievous. So he's communicating to Abraham that, that, that Sodom and Gomorrah is getting ready to be recipients of the consequences of their sins. I'm getting ready to judge them. 
Verses 23, then Abraham approached him and said, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Look what God says. Then the Lord says, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Would, would you destroy the whole city if, if 45 people? Hmm. If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him. What if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not. And he goes down from 40. Well, what about 30? If there, are there 30 people in the city? What, what about 20? God says, if it's 20 people in the city, I won't destroy it. What about 10? If there are 10 people in the city, will, will you destroy the city? When I looked at this pop and I pose the question, what are the factors of revelation? Number one, God considers the fact that I have a relationship with Abraham and what I'm getting ready to do in Sodom affects him because his nephew Lot is there. But there's another factor that we need to consider that God looks at when he gives ready to give revelation. And that is, God says, if I show you, are you going to do something with it? If I tell you what I'm getting ready to do, my God, if I show and demonstrate to you what I'm getting ready to do, will you sit back and do nothing or will you engage in the spiritual realm and actually do something about what it is I'm getting ready to do? Now, now, now watch this. Real simple, silly example. There's a law called the, the law of gravity. The law of gravity. Now we say all the time, what goes up must, must what, y'all? must come down. But, but the law is a little bit more complicated than that. That's a simple way to explain it, but the law is a little bit more complicated. The law of gravity states that, that this particular object that I'm holding, that it will fall to the ground based on its weight, size, and distance from the earth at a particular speed every single time. The law of gravity. Given the distance, the weight, and the size, law is consistent. It will hit the ground the same time every single time. It's the law of gravity. But then there's another law that overrides the law of gravity that's called the law of lift. And what the law of lift says is that if you can get enough air under this object, that's why an airplane flies, because it flies fast enough, it hits a certain speed to get enough air under it that it overrides the law of gravity. So whereas, just like this, that object falls to the ground, if I can get enough speed on it, catch it, brother, if I can get enough speed on it, it'll overcome the law of gravity. What are you trying to say, Pastor McGee? There is a law spiritually called the law of sin. And the law of sin is consistent. The wages of sin is that, yes, the gift of God is eternal life, but the consequences, they are consistent. That when you violate the standards of God, when you sin, consequences are coming. Come on, somebody. Be not deceived, for God has not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also what, y'all? If he sold to the flesh, he shall of the flesh reap what, y'all? Corruption. But there's another law called the law of intercession. Yes, prayer is a law. And God says in this law that although a consequences is warranted for the sinner, if I can find somebody that will stand between the sinner and the consequences, I will nullify, watch this, I will overcome the law of sin because of the law of intercession. God says... Shall I hide what I'm getting ready to do for Sodom? Because when I look down at Sodom, I see the iniquity of the land. They're getting ready to reap the consequences of deserved sin. But if I share with my servant, will he operate the law of intercession? 
So Abraham goes into prayer and says, Lord, if there's 50 in the city, if there's 45, is there 40 in the city? God, if there's 30, 20, if there's just 10 people in the city, he's operating the law of intercession. We see this same principle in Ezekiel 22 and 30 where the Bible declares, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge. What's going on? The context is that these people of God are getting ready to receive the consequences of their sin. But God says, I'm looking for somebody to enact the law of intercession because if I can, oh my, my God, some of y'all sitting down here, you don't even understand that you are a recipient, that you are a beneficiary of the law of somebody else interceding on your behalf. Can somebody say amen to that? Look at you, you look good, you smell good, you in your right mind, come on somebody. You came out of some trials and tribulation, but you didn't get that on your own, y'all, y'all, because some of y'all deserve to be dead, come on, or in somebody's jail right now, but somebody interacted the law of intercession on your behalf. In Ezekiel, these people are getting ready to reap the consequences of their sin. But God says, God says, look, I set the law. Oh, my God. God says, I set the law of gravity in motion. But I also set the law of lift just in case. Watch this. I want to be merciful upon a fall of an individual and cause them to be lifted despite the consequences of their sin. I'm just looking for somebody that will pray and intercede. He said, I sought for a man, Ezekiel 22 and 30, that they should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it. I got to destroy it because of the law of sin. But, but, but watch this. I will stay my hand. I will have mercy. I will have grace if I could find somebody that will interact the law of intercession. But the Bible declares, the Bible declares, but I found, I didn't find couldn't find nobody. Couldn't find nobody. If you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. Intended consecration provokes revelation. Committed consecration produces manifestation. Intended consecration provokes revelation. I got quite a few things I'm going, I'm going to throw at you. If, if you want the slides, get with Deacon Chapman. I, I sent them to him. He'll, he'll forward them to you. Intended consecration provokes revelation. When God knows that you're going to do something with the information, he freely gives you the revelation of what he's thinking and what he's going to do. The reason he told Abraham is because he knew that Abraham would intercede on the behalf of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah and on the behalf of his nephew Lot. So whenever there's an intentional, I'm so excited because we're getting ready to enter into this 21 days of fasting and praying. And let me tell you what's going to happen. That already, I'm telling you, God's going to begin to download information into your spirit because he wants you to be targeted in your prayers. He wants you to be targeted in your fasting. He don't want you to just shoot, blah, 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 blah. But God wants you to be a marksman. Come on, somebody. He wants you to be a sniper. He wants you to hit the target exactly. And if you're going to be a sniper, you've got to have the revelation and I'm telling you the good news is you don't have to beg God for revelation when God sees the intent to consecrate he's going to revelate can somebody say amen to that so intended consecration provokes revelation but you also have to understand that committed everybody shall commit it committed consecration produces manifestation so you can have the revelation based on the intent to consecrate, but there can be something that comes that knocks you off your journey, and because you don't commit to your intended consecration, manifestation never comes. And I'm telling you right now, all type of stuff gonna come at you these next 21 days. Both naturally and spiritually, for you to break your system of consecration, because the devil don't want you to see. We talked about it last week. Uh, 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 yes, faith, faith produces results. But in Mark 9, the scripture declares that this kind, everybody shout this kind. I'm, I don't know about y'all, but I'm just, uh, I'm over just ordinary. I'm over just average. I'm ready for God to do some supernatural things in the earth. I'm ready for God to put some super on my natural. What do you mean? I'm naturally working, but I'm ready for God to put some super. Are y'all with me in this play? I'm talking about some extraordinary power upon my natural. Everybody shout supernatural. 
So Mark 9 declares that this kind, everybody shout this kind. This kind only comes out but by prayer and fasting. I've got to accompany fasting with my prayer. Because although God gives me the revelation, my commitment to the consecration is what brings manifestation. So let's talk about fasting for a moment. I want to give you the proper definition. Fasting, first of all, is the deliberate, temporary abstention from food for spiritual purposes. It's deliberate, temporary abstaining from food. Now, can you fast from Facebook? Yes, you can, along with from food. Can you fast from TV? You sure can, along with from food. Ooh, one, of the, one of the disciplines, power disciplines that God gives us, giving is a power discipline, I believe that. Prayer is a power discipline. Fasting is a power discipline. Fasting is one of those things that many in the church, we neglect the most, and we try to substitute other things instead of getting to the place where we need to get to to actually con really consecrate ourselves in a more intense way before the Lord. It's abstaining from food. Fasting afflicts one's flesh so that one might be more sus susceptible to the things of the Spirit. So when I fast and bring my flesh under the subjection, I'm able to hear things from God a little bit more clearly. I'm able to focus my attention. Fasting, it's a quest for spiritual, everybody shout, spiritual mastery. It's a quest for spiritual mastery over the sensory appetites. Understand, there are some of you all who struggle with sin. You struggle with certain temptation. And God gives you a mechanism whereby you can practice saying no. That's so good. I'm going to say it again. Some of you all struggle with sin. You struggle with temptation. You struggle with things of your flesh. And you okay as long as the kryptonite is not around. But you can't live your life for the rest of your life trying to avoid kryptonite because it's going to show up at Walmart. It's going to show up in the grocery store. Sometime kryptonite coming to the church house. Y'all ain't saying nothing in this place. And if I don't practice saying no, when I get put in that position, I'm going to fall to something that God wants me to master. Fasting stands in distinction to the hunger strike the purpose of which is to gain political power or attract attention to a good cause. It is also distinct from health dieting, which, str which stresses abstinence from food for physical, not spiritual purposes. So I want to warn you, as you're approaching this fast, don't do it to lose weight. Just, just X that goal out your head. Ooh, child, I'm going to lose 55 pounds in the next 21 days. The truth is, if you really fast, you probably are going to lose weight. You just can't have that as a goal because it's going gonna, it's gonna to divide your loyalties. It's going to divide your drive. What are you trying to say, Pastor McGee? Because after the first week, if you've only lost two pounds and you're scheduled to lose eight, you're going into prayer discouraged about something that don't even matter in this season of your life because it's not about physical. In this season, I'm trying to spiritually strengthen you. Can somebody say amen to that? Although the physical aspects of fasting intrigue us, we must never forget that the major work of scriptural fasting is in the realm of the spirit. What goes on spiritually is much more important than what is happen happening bodily. Spoken of in the scriptures as a source of spiritual power. Everybody shout spiritual power. It is contrary to natural reasoning to deplete oneself of physical energy at a time when it is needed most. But the diminished bodily strength is replaced by a spiritual energy necessary for spiritual needs. God's going to strengthen you in this season in your spirit. You will be more sensitive you will be more disciplined, you will be more focused, 
th throughout the rest of the year, you will see expedited results because watch this, the more sensitive my spirit is, the more I hear from God. And faith comes by what, y'all? By hearing and hearing by the word of God. And as I increase in my faith, I trust him for greater things. So when I foundational text, I'm almost to where I'm supposed to be. Man, the Jews are in a, a dire situation. They, they got something serious going on in their community. Um, Haman has, has approached the king because he has this issue with Mordecai. He don't like him. Um, Haman got promoted to an honored position by the king. And everybody, when he walked up, everybody bowed except for Mordecai. People looking at Mordecai like, why are you not bowing? Mordecai said, I can't bow. I'm a Jew. <laughs> we don't do this. I'm of the people of God. I, I bow to God, not him, not man. Don't you know people will mock you because of your stands? So Haman looked at Mordecai and he said, you know what? I'm not just going to get rid of you. I'm going to get rid of everybody that looked like you. So he goes to the king and he gets an edict written, sent to the whole kingdom that on, the, on a particular day of the 12th month, Everybody has free reign to destroy anybody of Jewish descent. Everybody. Bible declares Mordecai rips his clothes. Distressed. Here's the problem. The king made the decree, but he don't realize that he actually married a Jew. Because Esther is a Jew. So Mordecai, Esther's uncle, sends a message to her. That you need to reveal who you are. All your life, the scripture declares that Mordecai told Esther to hide who she was. Don't let nobody know who you are. But now you need to reveal who you really are. And I believe that's the season that we're in right now. You need to reveal who you really are in God because somebody needs you for such a time as this. The people on your job, they need to know if they need a prayer. Come on, somebody. If they need a breakthrough, you're the one that they need to come through to. I'm not the one to gossip to. I'm not the one to complain to. If you want God to do something about what you're going through, I'm the one that you come to. So Mordecai sends a message to Esther, the undercover queen. And he says, go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead for him for her people. What, what is he trying to say? I want you to intercede on the behalf of the people, both naturally and spiritually. You got to go before God, but not only do you have to go before God, you're in a position where you have to stand before the king and intercede because if you don't, all of our people are getting ready to be annihilated. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, now, now look, look at what Look at, look at Esther's concern. Verse number 11. All the king's officials and the people of the royal province know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the, he, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. Now let's look at this for a second. Now, Esther is shaking. Let me tell you why Esther is shaking. Because the only reason Esther queen is because he got rid of the last one. <laughs> King threw a party, and at the end of the party, he wanted uh, uh, Queen Vashti to come and present herself. Vashti, the scripture declares that she was throwing her own party amongst the women in the, in the palace, and she said no. And the king said Next. <laughs> Esther knows that there's a law that if I stand before the king and he hadn't called me, the law says that I die unless he extends the scepter. That's a law. In addition to that, it's been 30 days since he summoned me. So evidently, Mordecai, he don't want me and I'm putting my own life in jeopardy 
trying to save other folk life. You do know that intercession is you dying. Come on, somebody, that others might live. I need you to understand that. If somebody shout, consecration is a sacrifice. Everybody shout, intercession is a sacrifice. But I'm telling you, it's a needed sacrifice. God is calling us in this hour to intercede on the behalf of other people. This next 21 days, I believe that God is going to move for you and he's going to move in you. But it's not just about you and your needs. It's not, a just, it's not just about you for and no more. But God wants to use you to override the law of sin in somebody else's life so grace can get to Sodom, so grace can get to Gomorrah, so that they can have a chance. Verse number 12 declares, when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, <laughs> Mordecai ain't moved. He sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. Now, don't get this twisted. Because he's going to find out. And if he annihilate all the Jews, and once he find out you won, it's Vashti, Esther, and whoever's next. 14 declares, if, oh, look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, don't be silent. Don't be silent. 14 declares, for if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. Now, let me pause there for a second. Now, when you think of the burden of the Lord of intercession that God puts on you for somebody else, you really do need to consider that an honor. Are y'all with me in this place? Because he could have chose somebody else first, but he chose you. But you need to understand, if you decide not to obey God, deliverance is coming from another place. And some of y'all are satisfied, well, at least they'll be saved. At least somebody get them. But, somebody shout, but... But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Esther's convicted. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai 16, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and everybody shall fast for me. Fast for me. Do not eat or drink. For three days, night or day, I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Somebody shout, I got to obey God in this season. So watch this, watch this wisdom, watch this. Esther has to go before the king, and there's three things that she needs to be done, that needs to be done on her behalf. And so not only is she praying, but she's going to incorporate fasting because she's in a situation of this kind right now. So you just can't talk to God about this kind. You got to accompany fasting with this kind. Number one, she needs wisdom of God of how to approach the king. Number two, she needs to favor of God to turn the king's heart because even if she goes before the king and he extends his scepter don't mean that he gonna change his mind and say yes to her request so she needs the favor of God to turn the heart of 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 the king and not only does she need that number three she needs watch this the vengeance of God to be carried out against her enemy so she goes she fast she has the uh, uh, the community to fast with her and for her and the scripture declares in chapter number six, verses number one, that night, somebody shout that night. Now, let me pause, look up at me just for a second, because you got to understand that when you, you just got to obey God and do what he says do, because there are things that you do in the natural realm that automatically has an effect on the spiritual realm. There are things that you do in obedience that releases the hand and the power of God. So she goes on this consecration. She goes on this fast, and, God, and God begins to move on her behalf. Chapter number 6, verses number 1. Everybody shout, that night. 
Why that night? I'll tell you that night because it was, watch this, because she had already consecrated herself, fasted, and sought the face of God. And now God is responding to her consecration, to her sacrifice. And I'm telling you that God does not have a respect to person. God don't love Esther more than he loves you. He don't love Mordecai more than he loves. He loves us all the same because we are all his children. We are all his people. And God doesn't have a respect to person. He has a respect to principle. And just like Esther consecrated herself and received a move of God, I'm telling you today in this season, if you will, if you will make the choice, if you will be intentional in your consecration, I'm telling you, you're going to see the hand of God move, moving for you. Can somebody say amen to that? The Bible declares that night the king could not sleep. So he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. It was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed these two, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate the king. Now, now understand what's happening here. God is giving the king Jewish sympathy. God is dealing with his heart based on her consecration. I don't know about y'all, but I got people in my life who I need God. Yo, uh, you, uh, no, no, real, real, real talk, real talk, real talk. How many of y'all like me got people in your life, you really, I mean, you've exhausted all of your witty explanations as to why they need to do what they need to do. I mean, think of that just for a second. I mean, there's no possible, there's no better way that I can think of to actually explain to you why you need to do what you need to do. Every, every reason that I've come up with, either you have debunked it with something else or you said, yeah, you're right, but. So you continue to stay in your mess. You continue to stay in your dumb stuff. Well, you know what? I'm done talking to you. I ain't saying nothing else to you. You know what I'm getting ready to do? I'm finna get out your face, and I'm finna get in God's face. Because where my words were in your head, God says, I have something that I can do to change their hearts. And because of consecration, God begins to deal with the king, and he changed his heart concerning the Jewish people. Somebody shout, yes! He did it just like that. He'll do it for you. He'll do it, Jeff. He'll do it for you. How many of y'all got some babies in here that you're concerned about? How many of y'all got some relatives you're concerned about? How many of you got some friends who you love that you're concerned about? How many of y'all, how many of you got church members that you, you're concerned about? And you like, I've been telling them and I've been, I've been praying for them. But you know what? I'm getting ready to intensify my prayers concerning them. Mix it with fasting. So when I go before the Lord, what I'm doing on my knees is reaching heaven. And what reaches heaven comes back to the earth and it touches the heart. God's been, oh my God. My prayer is God, trouble them till they change. Trouble them till they change. Trouble them till they change. Don't let them rest, my God. Don't let them die and go to hell like this, God. Trouble them till they change. I'm prophesying in this place. God is getting ready to trouble some people that you love as a result of your prayers. And they ain't going to understand what's happening on the inside of them. But you're going to understand. God is troubling you because he wants you to change. So, Chad, this idea of fasting and praying, man, look, look, this ain't just something we're doing because every other church is doing this. Bump what everybody else is doing. What is God challenging EMCC to do corporately? Listen, there are some things in the past that we have missed because levels of consecration that we haven't done. We've done the Daniel fast in the past, and thank God for the Daniel fast. And, and, I, and I, I, listen, listen, listen. I want to challenge the church. Now, fasting is your individual consecration to the Lord. I, I do understand that. I want to challenge the church. The church. Church. Unless you're pregnant, you need to eat. Because that baby need to eat. If you're taking medication, I do want you to consult your doctor and talk to your doctor. 
Let him know what you're doing. Get his medical advice because I'm not a medical doctor. I want to challenge the church to a time fast this year. What's the time fast? I want you to block out a window of time either that you choose not to eat to abstain from food or you just have a small window of time that you're going to eat for that day. What does it look like? For some people, it looks like I'm just going to eat one meal a day. For some people, I'm, I'm just going to eat a breakfast and I'm not eating anything else all, all day. For other people, I'm, I'm going to eat from, for, for my babies. I'm making it easier for my babies. From I think, I think we said from 1 o'clock to 8 o'clock is their window of eating. So after 8 o'clock, you don't eat nothing at all this to, for the rest of this day until the next day at 1 o'clock. Now, that's the easier thing because I'm trying to introduce them. I don't know who this is for, but some of y'all need to stop shortchanging your children spiritually. You need to stop shortchanging your children spiritually. Watch this. If they decide, I don't want to go to school, you're going to go. You, you, oh, you going to school. Same joker. I don't feel like going to church. Well, all right, yeah, I, ain't, I can't make you serve the Lord. You can make them go to church, though. You can't make them learn in school, but you can make them get on that bus. I want to make sure that I train my children with the necessary disciplines that's going to cause them not just to survive in life, but to thrive. Why would I, why would I withhold the true benefits of my spiritual development from them and not challenge them with the same sacrifices? Now, they're not going to be able to fast as long as me right now because everything that you do is based on your level of faith. Are you all with me? So I don't expect them to be able to fast and consecrate myself, consecrate themselves as long as I do. But you can start somewhere. Somewhere. Years ago when we was first fasting, I used to tell my babies, tell your stomach, I'm not feeding you today. Charity used to say, I'm not feeding you today. I'm going to take care of you later when my daddy leaves, though. <laughs> Got to consecrate ourselves. That's something that God wants to do in us so amazing as a church, both collectively and individually. And he's asking for a small sacrifice this, this season of our lives, telling you it's going to bless us. God's going to do something in us, and he's going to do something for us. He's going to do something in us, he's going to do something for us, and he's going to do something through us. It's going to be in you. Change is going change, change to happen. He's going to move for you some things that you've been praying to him about. And then he's going to move through you. There's other people around you that he's going to touch as a result of the sacrifice that you're making in this season. Somebody shout, it's going to happen just like that. I'm telling you. Now, I want to give you some, some final instructions, exhortation as we approach this season of fasting. Thank you, Jesus. And, and this, this wonderful book, um, and I hadn't read the whole book. I just read the section on consecration um, called Celebration of Discipline by uh, Richard Foster, and he talks about the dif different Christian disciplines of, of prayer and, and giving and fasting and all that wonderful stuff. I just read the section on fasting, and it, it blew me away. Foster says, the constant propaganda fed us today convinces us that if we do not eat, if we do not have three large meals each day with several snacks in between, we are on the verge of starvation. Somebody shout, I feel that. I bet you do. I'm finna die. I ain't ate in an hour. <laughs> mm. No, no, real, real talk, real talk. So, so as as I've as I've been on my my little journey of of just doing right by my my body, um, when I feel those hunger cravings, it's one of three reasons. Real talk. Number one, I'm actually hungry, and it's time for me to eat. Okay. Number two, because I'm thirsty, and I haven't drunk enough water, so the, the signals in my brain is confusing that you need to put something in you instead of drinking water. I, I go get something else to eat, right? Number three, I get a signal every day about 1230. Every day. You know why? Because that's normally when I eat lunch. That's normal when I eat lunch. And you know what's crazy? This is real crazy. I can eat lunch at, I can have an early lunch at 11 o'clock. I still get hungry at 1230. Yeah, my dad got this saying. He'll come over to the house, and I say, Pop, um, have you ate anything? Yeah, I already ate, but I can eat. <laughs> I ain't hungry. I ain't eat. I, I got room, though. I can, I can make room. 
It's time to bring flesh under subjection. Hmm? This coupled with the popular belief that it is a positive virtue to satisfy every human appetite has made fasting seem obsolete. He goes on to say, your stomach has been trained through years of conditioning to give signals of hunger at certain hours. I just said that. In many ways, the stomach is like a spoiled child, and a spoiled child does not need indulgence. What does it need, y'all? <laughs> Discipline. 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 Now, I'll be honest with y'all. Last night, I really, really struggled. I really, really struggled. And, and my mind is so wonderful because it rationalized all types of ways for me to just do what I want to do tonight. Because I've been challenging my kids. My kids said, shoo, we going on a fast? I'm finna fill up. <laughs> I'm finna fill up. So... I've been telling my babies, and I'm telling you, that's actually the worst thing in the world for you to do. If you know you're going on an extended fast, you need to start actually tapering off on certain foods, and then there's certain foods you need to just not even eat. As an example, especially, I really don't eat a lot of sweets now, but especially when I'm getting ready to fast, I eat no sweets at all in preparation to that fast. Nothing. You know why? Because, because sweets, they, they, they chemically, they help to induce your appetite. So I, I cut all that out. The, the, the heavy carbs and the mac and cheese, I don't do none of that, okay, leading up to a fast. So last night, um, and I, I was up just praying late and whatever, and I started getting hungry. And I'm going to tell y'all what my favorite junk, junk, it's not even food, junk candy in the world. My favorite, my wife, she loves Reese's. Mine is peanut butter M&M's. Ooh-hoo. If you ever want to put kryptonite before me, and please don't. It's just something about peanut butter, m and So last night, I'm like, man, I'm hungry. And I had already eaten. Matter of fact, I got me a little Greek yogurt, put some nuts in, and I ate that. And about an hour later, I was still hungry. I was laying in the bed, and I got up. And lo and behold, the devil have put some peanut butter M&M's <laughs> on my nightstand. Why they ain't on my wife's nightstand? They on my nightstand. And I'm sitting there looking at them peanut butter M&M's. And guess what, y'all? Something popped on my shoulder. <laughs> and it said, Greg, you know you finna fast anyway. <laughs> you can have this tonight. So I went in the kitchen and walked around. <laughs> Came back and looked at them again, see if they were still there. <laughs> they were still there. No, I just went and got something to drink and finally went to bed and I didn't indulge. Praise the Lord. Y'all bless the Lord for me. That's A. That's A. If I was in kindergarten, my man, I'd get a gold star for that one. read that again more. Your stomach has been trained through years of conditioning to give signals of hunger at certain hours. In many ways, the stomach is like a spoiled child. Yep. And a spoiled child does not need indulgence. Somebody shout discipline. Needs discipline. Final thought, I think. Yeah, we'll go on. Now, this is good right here because I need y'all to hear this. Yeah. I, I need everybody look at, especially my husbands and wives. I need y'all to shoot. Husbands, wives, and parents. If you live with somebody else in your house, you need to hear this. More than any other discipline, discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. Anger, bitterness, jealousy, strife, fear. If they are within us, they will surface during fasting. At first, we will rationalize that our anger is due to our hunger. Anybody know what hangry mean, right? So it's easy for you to rationalize, well, I'm just hungry. That's why I'm, I'm so upset. No. Then when we realize that we are angry because the spirit of anger is within us. So when you're fasting, if you deal with anger, if you deal with rejection, if you deal with fear, those things, listen, it's a tactic of your flesh and, your, and the enemy to get you to break your fast. Let me tell you why. 
because food is like, y'all know what comfort eating is, right? Comfort eating is when I feel good, I do what, y'all? I eat. When I'm depressed, I do what? When I'm bored, I, okay? So these emotions, when they flare up, they're just trying to drive you to comfort yourself. But you know what? I ain't comforting myself because I'm consecrating myself. Can somebody say amen to that? Last scripture. David writes in Psalm 69 and 10. I wept and humbled my soul with what, y'all? He says, my soul, my emotions, my feelings that are warring against me, the way I brought them down, the way I humbled them, I chose to fast and to consecrate myself. And I brought my soul, I brought my flesh under subjection. And God's going to do that in you. He's going to do it in you. So this was my instructions, Pop. My instructions were to build faith for consecration. Because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. God told me to build, build the people's faith. So I'm, I'm giving you reasons. I'm giving you motives behind your fasting. Because God wants you to be successful in this season of consecration. Because, ugh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So I, I, I received the prophetic word. It wasn't a specific word to me. It was a general word. But I, I felt God in his word. And, and, and the word that I received he says, the man of God says that God is getting ready to publicly reward those who have secretly consecrated. Publicly reward those who have secretly and privately consecrated. So as I go around, I'm not just going around saying, hey, I'm, I'm fasting for the Lord. Hey, I'm consecrating for the Lord. Ooh, no, I don't want that. Y'all go ahead. I'm consecrating. I ain't doing that. But in my own little private time, I got something going on with God. I'm praying. I'm seeking his face. I'm worshiping. And I want to encourage you in this season like never before. As you are fasting, as you are fasting, pray. As you are fasting, worship. Don't matter if you can sing. Hit play. <laughs> and just do what I do. Just mouth the words, right? You need to worship. God's going to do something amazing on the inside of you all.